0: To be able to do anything substantial, anything meaningful, the most important thing you need is really courage. Just sort of standing up and committing to something and saying, I'm gonna do it no matter what, Mm -hmm. is probably the most important thing about being an entrepreneur.
1: You are listening to Innovators, Brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I am your host, Zach DeWitt. Today, we are joined by Amit Prakash, co founder and CTO of ThoughtSpot. Prior to founding ThoughtSpot, Amit worked at both Google and Microsoft. ThoughtSpot has built a platform for AI driven internal company search and analytics. Now anyone can find insights hidden in their company data in seconds when they need them the most. For example, an e-commerce platform can quickly analyze if red shoes sell better in summer or in winter, or can learn the average order value by state. In August, ThoughtSpot raised a $250 million round, led by Lightspeed, at a $2 billion valuation. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as the company is quickly becoming a category leader. Welcome to Innovators. Excited to have you on. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much. Very glad to be here. Um, So
0: my name is Amit Prakash. I am one of the co-founders and CTO of ThoughtSpot.
1: And please tell me a little bit about your background prior to founding ThoughtSpot.
0: Yeah, so prior to founding ThoughtSpot, I was at Google for about five years. Mm -hmm. Um, There I was running a team that was responsible for building machine learning models that predict when somebody is going to click on an ad in AdSense. So we were both responsible for... um, the infrastructure that trained those models, as well as the modeling and features and uh, hyperparameter tuning and things like that. It was a small team of 10, but with a very large impact. So we were asked to pretty much every quarter increase AdSense revenue by a couple of percent through algorithmic improvements. Before that, I was at Microsoft. So I was one of the first few engineers who kind of formed the original search team that went on to become Bing. And so I was responsible for building most of the distributed systems infrastructure for any kind of web graph-based computation, be it something like PageRank or finding spam or um, ranking uh,
1: documents. So it sounds like you're working on some pretty interesting problems at some very important large companies. What inspired you to step out of Google and, and be an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, so this takes me to a little bit of uh, my life story. Growing up, what I wanted to do was really be a scientist and go discover new things. And after some time, that transformed into engineering and building new things. So growing up, I always thought that I would do a PhD, do some groundbreaking research, go be a faculty somewhere, teach, and in process, maybe discover something that might result into something commercial. As I was finishing up my PhD, I felt a little bit disillusioned with academic research. And I felt like it was a little bit of um, sort of doing things for the sake of doing things. And I wanted to do something more real. And that's what led me to industry. Um, So after working at Microsoft for about four years and Google for about three, four years, I actually got a chance to um, advise some PhD students at CMU. And in that process, I discovered that I actually didn't like it as much as I thought I would like. And uh, what I liked more was solving big problems in industry. And that was kind of a turning point for me. And I had to decide what I was going to do with my life. And so after some soul searching, I decided that entrepreneurship is the thing that I want to do. And that led to a process of sort of discovering problems that I wanted to work on, people that I wanted to work with. And it took some time before... You know, everything came together in form of ThoughtSpot. And how did the team come together? So my co-founder and um, the current exec chairman of ThoughtSpot, Ajit, we both went to college together at IIT Kanpur. Uh, we didn't know each other that much back then. We had met a few times, but Ajit's other co-founder, Dhiraj, who's the co-founder and CEO of Nutanix also overlapped with me in Austin when I was going to grad school. And so he knew me very well, and he knew that I was looking for co-founders. And he also knew that Ajit was looking for co-founders, so he kind of connected us. And that's how we ended up meeting back in 2012.
1: So obviously, being at Google is very different than being in a startup. You have yeah. infinite resources. Um, you, you already have a wonderful talent around you. And sometimes it can teach uh, founders really good habits. And sometimes it can teach founders not, not as good habits. Um, what were some of the key learnings, both positive and negatives, that you took away from Google based on uh, starting ThoughtSpot?
0: I think my time at Google was really amazing for me. I learned a lot of different things, and, and mostly all good. When I was at uh, Microsoft, we were competing with Google on search, and we were trying very hard and not succeeding. And so when I moved to Google, when I saw the level of sort of thought leadership in that company at the time, there was just no comparison with what I was seeing at Microsoft. The kind of investment that Google had done in distributed systems infrastructure and machine learning was just amazing. At Microsoft, I was struggling to keep 200 machines up while discovering algorithms to rank pages. Over here, as a developer, I could just sort of, with a stroke on the keyboard, command 1,000 machines and make them work the way I want to make them work. And this was a huge advantage for Google in terms of staying ahead in the game. And so I learned a lot about building distributed systems. The other thing that I learned at Google was how you can make 100%, 1,000% organization work cohesively towards a hard goal by reducing everything down to a few metrics. So I was working on ads, and we knew that what we cared about was click-through rate, which was a proxy for how happy people are with the ads we place, how much revenue our advertisers are able to basically get through it through conversion rate, and then how much money is Google getting? And these were the three metrics that everything was reduced down to. So anybody could make a change. And then there were very good systems in place for you to kind of measure the delta impact of that change. And so you could try 100 different ideas and maybe 20 of those will succeed. But you quickly knew which 20 of those were and you could apply that to the system and make a lot of progress. So that kind of discipline and that kind of systematic setup I had never seen before where everything was optimized to when you have a hypothesis in your mind and when you get an answer as to whether that hypothesis was correct or not was extremely optimized so that with a little bit of effort and a little bit of time you get there and and that was a really big learning as well and then I think a lot of things about machine learning and AI that I learned was really learned
1: on the job at Google So fast forward to the first couple months starting ThoughtSpot. Take us back. What were the first few months like? Uh, (laughs) It was very interesting
0: times and very crazy and a lot of fun. I compare that to the experience of moving from India to the United States. All of a sudden you land somewhere where you don't even know how to cross the street or you don't know how to cook or what to buy in the grocery store, where to look for things. It was kind of experience like that because uh, as an engineer you never worry about um facilities or even like how the code gets built and things like that so so first it was okay what servers are we going to run on we were buying servers on ebay in the <laughs> and then um and then looking for space to rent and then buying furniture from ikea and assembling it and that lasted maybe about a week but then after that it was like okay what systems are we going to use for code review how are we going to set up vpn what are going to be our code review practices and so a lot of these things you bring what you've done in past but a lot of things you just have to figure out from ground up that you never even thought was a thing Um, so, so, so a lot of interesting things like that that and it lasted maybe about three month phase. But one of the biggest things that changed for me was really how you hire people, right? Because as, as an entrepreneur, that's probably the biggest task you have is to assemble a high quality team. And being at companies like Google and Microsoft, you're really not worrying about it. All you do is candidates get fed to you and you interview them and say yes or no and maybe as a manager you might do a little bit of closing that's so different than sort of being a two or three person team uh, where nobody knows you and they have no reason whatsoever to bet next few years of their career on you and you have to convince them about the mission and what it brings to them so that they're willing to leave their cushy comfy job from somewhere else and come work here on a mission that where you they're possibly working twice as hard as they were and potentially making less money at least in the short term
1: well you guys have obviously done a great job hiring and, and, and building a really successful company so let's talk a little bit about what ThoughtSpot is and and what what the product does
0: yeah so ThoughtSpot, we like to call it search and AI-driven analytics engine. Essentially, what we're trying to do is automate all the boring parts of getting to the interesting insights from data. Everybody realizes that data is a big deal in this current economy. And oftentimes people say data is the new oil. <laughs> Last year, we introduced this tagline, data is the essentially crude oil. And it's really insights where the value gets driven. And there's That's a the refinery lo- process. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of work in a traditional setup that needs to happen between sort of when you have the data and when you can see any meaningful insight out of that. In many organizations, it, it could be as much as six months before sort of somebody has a question from data and when they get to see the answer. And the reason for that is that most of them are using older technology stack that cannot handle the kind of scale that modern enterprise sees. They have to do things in somewhat a natural way, like anticipate the question ahead of the time, pre-compute, and then have armies of people kind of working through a long queue of questions so that they can eventually get to the answer. And so what we have done is basically sort of rethought what the architecture of a modern BI tool should be like, analytics tool should be like. And um, with use of distributed systems in AI, we've shortened that process so that essentially the time between when you have a question and when you have an answer is shrunk to two seconds as opposed to weeks in most organizations.
1: So how do customers use ThoughtSpot? It would be great if you could walk me through some real use cases so our listeners can get a good sense of, of how this product functions. So what has happened
0: over the last five or six years or so is that we've gotten really good at solving large problems at large enterprises. So pretty much any large enterprise you would see in any vertical, one of the top two or three enterprise in that space would be using ThoughtSpot in a very meaningful way. One of the world's largest retailer is um, using ThoughtSpot for optimize their decision cycles. So... Earlier, they were making decisions once a month because it was so hard for the individual merchants who care about individual categories of products to get answers to their questions. They could only make decisions once a month. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard for them to compete with companies like Amazon, where decisions get made much faster. So after introducing ThoughtSpot, their decision cycle went down from a month to less than an hour. Um, There are other cases where because they deal with so many transactions and they have weekly decision cycles, they were not able to get enough data so that they could make decisions at individual product level. And they had to make decisions at product category level. So imagine having to make promotion or discounting decisions as a whole for all bikes as opposed to specific bicycles. And so that unlocked huge potential for them. Um, There are other cases where telecom companies are doing churn analysis and they would run a promotion in Thanksgiving and they would not know how it did until Christmas. And we were able to get in and make that cycle less than an hour. So they could course correct if the promotions were not going the way they were expecting it to go. Um, The cases where hospitals are using us to significantly improve their efficiency of resource utilization, the cases where, insurance companies and banks are using us and um, using our automated insight, one of the banks in Australia was able to discover essentially an anomaly in data that was costing them more than $30 million in terms of claims on their books that shouldn't have been there. There are other cases where people have looked at their trading data or in procurement cases, purchase prices, and they found discrepancies in prices that has led to millions of dollars of saving. And so, the core to all of these different cases and the different anecdotes where people have saved millions of dollars is really when you're able to give access to people who know the business intimately, um, the ability to ask questions and get answers immediately, just magical things happen. And if you thwart them by introducing a month-long wait cycle in when they ask a question and get the answer... People most likely don't even ask the questions that yeah. they need to be asking.
1: Yeah, magical moment does sound like um, the right way to describe that. If you're used to getting data a month later and you suddenly can get it a couple minutes later, an hour later, thats that's got to be um, an incredible experience for, for that business unit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of moving pieces there. And what would you say the secret sauce is? I mean, is it connecting different data sources? Is it the visualization part? Is it being able to type in a question and, and get the answer? So it's a speed with which you can do that. Yeah. How, how would you characterize what the secret sauce is?
0: Um, so what we did was we, our product stands on three legs. One leg is the distributed systems architecture. Um, the other one is use of machine learning and AI. And third is UX And so with this trinity of these three things, uh, we've been able to build an experience that simply wasn't possible before. And in particular, the investment in our architecture, what we ended up doing when we were building the product was initially we tried to, like everybody else does, uh, piece together a bunch of components that already exist in open source or even commercial, and then try to build a product out of that but what we found was that there was nothing that was out there that could really fulfill the product vision we had so we ended up building a lot of different pieces ourselves for example embedded inside our product is a distributed in memory database that's probably an order of magnitude faster than anything else out there. Uh, We don't sell it as a database but that's what allows us to keep granular data at hundreds of billions of rows and still have users ask questions and get answers immediately. Um, this architecture also allows us to index um, billions of strings that allows us to interpret the questions that people are asking. So you may be referring to a product name or a product queue or um, one of your customers or city and everything to be able to understand that you need to have all those entities indexed somewhere and most analytics products are not designed with that kind of scale in mind, so it's simply not possible to do that. Um, so, so it's really combination of a lot of investment in the platform pieces to make this um, experience happen, but also augmenting that with uh, machine learning pieces in design thinking so that we at the end of the day what we are uh,
1: giving our users is that experience where they come in and ask for questions and get answers is it non-technical users or technical users? Who who, who was actually typing in the questions in in the primary user of ThoughtSpot? Yeah, so that was one of our design goals
0: that pretty much anybody who wants an answer out of data should be able to use it without any kind of training or any kind of prerequisite on technical skill sets. So we have merchants using it, we have bank tellers using it, we have people who are stocking inventory, using it. So it's pretty much everybody who could potentially use data. And how does ThoughtSpot use machine learning? So for us, machine learning shows up in two different ways. So machine learning and AI is primarily a tool for us to build the experiences that we build in the same way that when you're using Google, Google is using a lot of machine learning behind the scenes to be able to give you the right answer and the right auto-completion suggestions, but you don't think of it as machine learning, right? You just ask a question, you get back the answer. In the same way, we are using machine learning both for our search piece and Spot IQ piece where we essentially generate automated insights for the users to do a lot of things behind the scenes so that you get that magical experience, so that you get the insight when you need it, where you need it. And then there's also pieces of machine learning that's exposed to the user where if you want to analyze some data and run clustering or regression or anything like that, you could do that through our our integration as well.
1: What have been some of the hardest parts about incorporating machine learning into your product. Well,
0: let me um, divide that up into how search works in our product and how SpotIQ works. Mm-hmm. So, search is essentially you go and ask questions like, "How's how are red shoes performing in, um, let's say, East Coast versus West Coast in the last three months?" Um, so, when you ask that question. Um, our algorithms need to interpret that and eventually convert that into something like SQL, which says something like "sum of sales for um, product category equal to red shoes" or maybe "color equal to red and category equal to shoes and date within this interval" and so on and so forth. And then have another one for one for East Coast, one for West Coast, and join the two, and then finally give you the result. Right? So, so all that complexity abstracted away. And that means that we should be able to understand and interpret what the user is asking. And that has required essentially inventing many different things that simply didn't exist before. This ranges from sort of entity resolution in a context that's not given to you, right? So so most of the named entity resolution engines kind of work in a public domain with all the knowledge in public domain, Whereas when we go into an organization, their terminology may be completely different that we didn't even know in advance, right? And then there's um, various nuances around how questions are expressed and how there may be ambiguities in the question. So if someone says last three years, what does it mean? Does it mean it was shipped in last three years or it was sold in last three years or it arrived at customer last three years? So how do you deal with all the ambiguity in the question? All of that required building a lot of machine learning into the product. The other thing that we do is we personalize the experience for everyone. So we are constantly learning from what choices you made yesterday, what choices other people who are in the same group as you made yesterday, and how does that inform what we suggest to you or how we disambiguate for you. And for that, there's a Bayesian model behind the scenes. It's learning. And there's the same Bayesian model that also helps us deliver the experience that we deliver in the SpotIQ piece of the product. So SpotIQ is essentially an AI engine that gives you automated insights about your data. It's asking questions on your behalf that you may not even have thought of asking. And then it's answering the question for you. So, for example, you may run SpotIQ after asking a question about what is my total sales last year. And SpotIQ will go and ask lots of questions about, okay, how much was sales in this zip code or in this product category or in this um, region? And it will systematically comb through all of the answers for these questions and then find interesting anomalies or interesting correlations or interesting clusters in there and then bring back the user and then it will rank all of them and basically bring back the top 20 of them that are most interesting to the user Um, so over there there's a lot of machine learning that goes into deciding which paths to explore because there's a combinatorial explosion there and that's where the Bayesian model that powers search also comes in handy and then essentially having one of the fastest databases in the world allows us to ask lots of questions and do lots of explorations. And when the answers come in at the other end, then we're trying to rank these answers because we don't want to overwhelm the user with a thousand different insights. So so there is a ranking problem that's again solved with use of machine learning where the inputs to that machine learning is essentially how unusual is certain observation compared to what you would consider normal as well as in past what kinds of insights have proven useful for this user and they have liked it versus they have disliked it and... Um, then generalizing those inputs into it. So, So those are two places where machine learning is essentially working behind the scenes. You don't realize that it's doing that, but at the end of it, you get very relevant answers and results. You can also write statistical algorithms in our system using R, and then the scale of our platform allows you to run this at a very large scale and get answers where you as a data scientist may be interested mm-hmm. in finding certain patterns or predicting something in the data.
1: If you were going to take a step back, how does machine learning impact your business model? Mm. Does it make your product more defensible because you're generating all this data and insights which allows your product better? Does it allow you to have a different go-to-market motion? You know, how, how does it impact kind of your, your, your core business platform and model?
0: Probably both of those things. So in terms of having capabilities that differentiates the product, that's probably the most important part because what happens is that this space is very crowded now. Everybody wants to do analytics. Everybody's got their own twist on how their analytics is different. So when, when we go and talk to customers, before they have seen the demo, there's always question about, there are 5,000 other companies that I see in this space. How are you different? Once you demonstrate the product, all those questions disappear. And the question is, how is this even happening? This doesn't look real. Will this work on my data? Um, So so there's enough differentiation in the product that it kind of speaks for itself. And people want it once they see a demonstration. On the business go-to-market side, what is interesting about it is that traditionally analytics and BI has been purely an IT sale. In very few cases, it's actually business going and buying it. In cases when businesses bought it, they tend to be more like personal tools. But this is the only tool where both business and IT are motivated to get it.
1: How do you determine your product roadmap? And um, does having a lot of machine learning capabilities impact uh, your roadmap?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, we think of ourselves as a... Um, sort of experience company, not so much necessarily a machine learning and AI company. So everything is in terms of what experiences are we building for our end users. Almost always when you want to do something interesting, machine learning ends up being one of the tools that helps you build that experience. But for the most part, what we are trying to do is make sure that anybody who's using ThoughtSpot gets the right insights from their data when they need it and doesn't get a whole lot of noise other than the insights that they need to see to do their job. Um, So so everything is kind of working towards that. So, So there's a new feature that we are working on where the vision is that ultimately you have to do as little work as possible and you get as much value as possible out of that. So in the beginning, you may just say that I'm interested in these three metrics Um, You may say like, I'm just interested in my sales. I'm interested in um, expenses and I'm interested in customer churn Mm -hmm. and that's it. What we will do is based on what we have learned from behavior of different users, we will start tracking a whole bunch of numbers related to these three metrics. So the top level metrics, how it breaks down in different dimensions over time and build statistical models around the various time series that we collect so that we know what variation is normal and what variation is not normal. So at one point, we may be able to tell you that your sales overall numbers look all right, but if you drill down and dig into Eastern region, there's something funky happening there that doesn't show up as, that shows up as noise in the top level metric or you may see that your sales number have gone up by 2%, but when you break it down, um, most of that extra 2% is coming from a 50% increase in product category X. Um, So so at the end of the day, the user is not even coming and logging into ThoughtSpot. They're just getting the insights that they need when um, they need to see it. So that's the ultimate vision and, and that's what we're working towards.
1: How long does it take to get ThoughtSpot up and running for a new customer? It varies
0: a lot. So we've had cases where we would land up in the morning and by afternoon we have things working and we've had cases where we are implementing for um, several months, like five, six months or so. Um, In most cases we end up implementing in two, three weeks or so. And most of it has to do with sort of how much complexity there is on the customer side and how easy it is or how fast or slow it is to get things done on their side. So there's just the process of getting data in and putting it in what we call worksheets, which is very lightweight modeling layer, is very fast and can be done in a few hours. Um, but a lot of times it ends up being, okay, um, from there you need to integrate with the authentication mechanism that the company is using. Or the process of getting data into ThoughtSpot from the system requires going and talking to some other team and that might take some time or sometimes the requirements kind of keep changing as to what data you need and what relationships between tables you need. So so those are things that add up times Mm -hmm. sometimes, but under ideal conditions we could be done in under a week.
1: Well, I would imagine the longer it takes to set up and integrate, the stickier it is too.
0: Yeah, yeah so absolutely. On, on,
1: it works on both sides. Yeah. So if we're going to fast forward a decade, what is yeah. the big vision for ThoughtSpot?
0: We would like to be the analytics engine of the world. And that's, that's really the vision. So in the same way that when you're trying to retrieve information that already exists, um, you think of Google as kind of your de facto portal into the World Wide Web. We would like to be the de facto analytics engine for the world, be it a student writing a report and trying to figure out something about how climate has been moving or how stock prices have been moving. They should be able to come to ThoughtSpot.com mm-hmm. and just ask those questions and get answer. Or be it inside an enterprise where somebody is trying to figure out What's happening with my equipment? What is the failure rate of so-and-so in this region? And right now, we limit it to just um, sort of relational data that could be fit into a database. But ultimately, it should be unbounded in terms of wherever the knowledge exists, whether you need to run analytics on images or whether you need to extract information from text or um, some semi-structured data. All of that should not be user's worry at the end of the day. When you have a question, within a second, you should be able to get the answer to that question. And many a times, once we get to know you, you may not even need to ask the question. You just get the mm. right insight um, at your fingertips without you lifting a finger.
1: But today ThoughtSpot is just internal company data. Yeah. You, know, you bring in outside data sources. So if I'll come back to shoe example, I want to know how red shoes sold in certain regions based on the temperature, the weather. Yeah. Right? So you're pulling in weather data, you're pulling in an external data.
0: We don't have like data libraries that you can just point to, but it's very easy to get data into ThoughtSpot. So you could go to any of the public data sites, get the spreadsheet from there and put that in ThoughtSpot and very easily join with maybe billions of transactions that you've had and get that mashed up analytics. We are actually, um, we have a few partnerships that we have recently announced with companies like Nielsen mm. and a few others where it will be really easy to get that kind of data through ThoughtSpot and experience that as well. But eventually we do plan to kind of be in a world where you can bring in external data. There's also an initiative we are working on where you could go to the and a bunch of public data sets that is of general utility to public is available as library. And then you could do analytics on that.
1: Why didn't Google do this? It it seemed like such a natural extension of their core search product to bring it in in in-house for companies and, and help them surface their data and run analytics and have data visualization. So Google has done some of it.
0: I know there was a project around essentially crawling tables on all the web pages and then interpreting them as tables and um, doing a few analytical questions on that. But most of that attempt was on set patterns of questions, answering set patterns of questions and not sort of interpreting arbitrary analytical questions and then doing compute behind that. And that is a really hard problem. I'm sure if people at Google decide to focus on that problem and solve it, they'll do an excellent job. But having worked on it for the last seven years, I can say with confidence that it's not going to be an easy thing and it it will take them years as well to try and solve it. Um, So it's just a matter of prioritization Mm -hmm. probably.
1: What advice do you have for a new entrepreneur who's thinking about starting a machine learning powered business?
0: I'll start with um, sort of a very general thing, which has nothing to do with machine learning. In general, i found that to be able to do anything substantial, anything meaningful, the most important thing you need is really courage. Just sort of standing up and committing to something and saying, I'm gonna do it no matter what, Mm -hmm. is probably the most important thing about being an entrepreneur. In general, about uh, machine learning, in most cases, people overemphasize the importance of machine learning too early. Most successful uh, machine learning and AI companies and projects that I have seen actually go into investment in systems first. Um, so, so, in most cases, whatever you're trying to achieve with machine learning, you could do that with very simple algorithms early on and build enough of a product, enough of an experience, so that you get usage. And then once you have usage, then you have the right amount of volume of data in there to be able to do anything interesting with machine learning. I remember my experience at Google. Actually, before my time at Google, the first time somebody realized that there is an optimization problem in placing ads, they had no background in machine learning whatsoever. And with very simple algorithms, without even realizing what they were doing, they were able to get massive improvements in sort of Google's revenue. And after that was done, a whole bunch of machine learning PhDs came in and they were trying to optimize the system. And what took them six months, they were basically taking five years to get similar magnitude of improvement because it just gets harder once, once the system is optimized and mm-hmm. low-hanging fruits are plucked out, then it just gets harder. No discredit to the machine learning PhDs. But in most cases, people should focus a lot more on building the systems and making it usable and getting enough traffic there before worrying too much about machine learning, unless you're building a system to allow others to do machine learning on it. In that case, it's a different ballgame.
1: Yeah, no, that's really well said, both the generalizable advice and then uh, machine learning-specific advice. So how can our listeners follow the progress of ThoughtSpot?
0: Yeah, so coming to our website is great, ThoughtSpot.com. There's lots of content over there. We have a blog where we routinely publish things about our technology, about our culture, how the company is doing, our product announcements and things like that. Coming to our annual um, user conference, Beyond, is a great way to meet us and our customers and experience everything ThoughtSpot. And we are taking that same idea of user conference around the world now in events that we call Thought Leaders. And um, um, you can look it up when it's happening in your city. But uh, in most large cities, we'll be visiting at least once a year and then talking about a product and platform and our vision.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. I've greatly enjoyed this episode. Anything else uh, worth sharing with the audience? I think
0: uh, what I want to say is that um, I'm very proud of what we have built as a company I'm very proud of the product but really the thing that I'm most proud of is the people we've been able to assemble and the culture we have everybody likes to say that they have hired the very best but we really really do Um, in the early days most of the engineers we ended up hiring I would put them in maybe the top 20th percentile of the engineering talent I saw at Google. Um, So if you're somebody who's looking for a great challenge and doing the best life of their work, definitely check us out. We're trying to still build. We consider ourselves 2% done, so there's a lot to build. And we'd love to have you on the team.
1: Great. Well, congratulations on all the progress. I know you have a lot of happy customers, and uh, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, as more and more companies enter the digital age, competition becomes fiercer and more cutthroat. Companies are required to adapt faster and faster to stay ahead. Thus, it is becoming imperative to be able to search across company databases for instantaneous answers to important questions. And two, ThoughtSpot is building a category-leading analytics and search platform for companies to ask questions in natural language and retrieve immediate answers. For example, with ThoughtSpot, you can ask, what are the quarterly sales by brand and by store, without having to run complicated queries across multiple data sources? Thank you for listening to Innovators. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate if you could share our podcast with one person who you think would greatly enjoy hearing about how the next wave of business leaders is using applied AI to reshape our business economy. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.bc.